I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, once a month, uh, Carrie uh, decides to take a break and asks me to uh, share. And I, I really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, I want you to first uh, look at that, uh, the last part of that verse where Elijah said uh, to Gehazi, he says, uh, right in uh, verse uh, 26 in the middle, it says, is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or manservants and maidservants? What does this mean? Uh, during the time of Elijah, uh, many prophets uh, served uh, money. Uh, rather than serving God's message to the people, uh, they brought message of God for the sake of money. And Elijah knew this. So once you uh, allow that greed in your heart unchecked, he knew that eventually, rather than serving the message of the gospel, uh, we will end up serving mammoth God. This particular passage, uh, chapter 5, is very important uh, in the Old Testament. And the reason is because we know a lot about Elijah and Elijah. Elijah, uh, he performed seven miracles, although I'm sure he performed many more miracles. But the author uh, wanted to make a point that by the time you come to Elijah, the people had become so corrupt, and they needed a prophet. And Elijah knew that. And that's why he asked his master, Elijah, and said, Sir, uh, before you go, would it be possible for me to inherit the double portion of your spirit? He knew in order to confront that generation, unlike the previous generation of Elijah, he needed more power. Yet, we find in 2 Kings chapters 2, 3, and 4, until we come to chapter 5, we find this man, Elijah, Elijah, performing many miracles. And out of all the miracles that Elijah performed, there was only one miracle, and one person is highlighted, and that is Naaman. Syrian, a Gentile, who did not have any knowledge of this God of Israel. Jesus, as he commented on these two people, Naaman stands out. If you have your Bible with you, Luke uh, chapter 4, if you recall, Jesus, uh, uh, in earlier, uh, before he entered into a ministry, uh, Jesus uh, uh, visited his hometown, Nazareth, in Luke chapter 4. Now, these people, they knew this Jesus, and they knew him very well because their children grew up with him. They, they knew his father was Joseph, and, 
his mother was uh, Mary and probably play with their uh, own children. They knew him just too well, right? And uh, Jesus, as a custom, he went into the synagogue and uh, he started to teach. And people were, were amazed at the gracious word that came from the lips of our Lord Jesus. But this is how they replied. This is how they responded, right? In verse 22, it says, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Now, Luke uh, does not include everything what they said, unlike Matthew. But we find that we know this guy. We know this man, right? There's no way that he can be so-called a prophet, that he can be a uh, messiah, right? We know him too well, right? And it is so true, oftentimes, our presumptuous knowledge can keep us from having faith in Jesus Christ, right? And this is a challenge. And Jesus responds in verse 23. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Uh, in the other record, we find that Jesus did not perform any miracle in his hometown, except healing some, uh, heal some uh, a few people. Why did he do that? Because people refuse to have faith in Jesus Christ. This proverb is speaking, basically, they weren't even looking, they weren't even expecting Jesus to perform Miracle. Why? Because he was just too familiar with the people. Right? So that, 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 that's why he's, uh, they said, you know, this proverb that Jesus quoted. Physician, heal yourself. Do something. Show us something here. So he refused. And then he says, verse 26, I will just... Uh, uh, verse 26. Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Verse 27. And there were many in Israel with leprosy. You see, Naaman was not the only one who was a leper, right? As a matter of fact, he was not even in Israel. There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And the question that you and I want to ask is that why is that? Why was that? Right? Couldn't God heal everyone in Israel and outside of Israel? Why was it? Why was it that only Naaman God healed Naaman, and only Naaman. But if you understand the context of this uh, Luke chapter 4, it's basically people were not expecting. People did not have faith, believing that God could heal the leprosy. So with that in mind, now we go to today's text. And we try to understand the nature of faith. What is this faith that we always talk about? And we go to the Old Testament, 
And surprisingly enough, what we find, first of all, when you read chapter 5 of verse 1, now, Naaman was commander of the army, I'm reading from the NIV, uh, army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, notice here, through him, Yahweh, the Lord had given victory to Aram. The Lord had given victory to Israel's enemies. In other words, God is sovereign. He sovereignly rule over outside of Israel. Our God is not limited to just Israel, but he rules outside. Our Lord Jesus is not limited to just within the church, but he rules outside of our church. And he's about to show his sovereign grace to this Gentile, this Naaman. Right? So, the question is, where did this man, Naaman, get his faith? Right? I mean, he was not part of Israel. Right? He was outside of Israel. Outside of the promise of God. Right? He did not know Yahweh. He was not Yahweh worshiper. As a matter of fact, he worshipped his own gods in, in Syria. But notice here in verse 2. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria. Wait. If you notice something that's very odd here. Even though Elijah performed many miracles, he never healed anyone of leprosy. Right? Elijah did not have any record. The, the Bible doesn't say that he, he, he raised the dead. Uh, he, he did all kinds of miracles, but he never healed anyone of the leprosy. So how did this girl, servant girl, how did she know that Elijah can heal someone of leprosy, this prophet, the messenger of God. It seems like she knew God of Israel better than anybody else. You see, it does not take a miracle for you to believe that God can. Did you hear that? It does not take a miracle for you to experience a miracle to believe that God can. Usually we think, you know, I could have faith if I can only see the miracles, experience the miracle. Now, I'm not against the miracle, but I'm saying it. Here's this girl, never experienced miracle, never heard that Elijah cures someone, can heal someone of leprosy. But her faith in God, right, and her confession that brought Naaman to the house of Elijah. Ah, she says, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So the question that we want to ask this morning, number one, is what is your relationship between faith and confession? You see, 
It was her confession of faith. She was not silent. But she simply said, oh, if you could just see this prophet in Israel. So this is the question. How important is our confession? Right? Basically, a lot of times, we don't take seriously of this confession. Well, uh, you have to believe. Uh, you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you're saved. But Paul doesn't think that way. Uh, faith alone, uh, we are saved by faith alone, grace alone. No doubt about that. But according to uh, Romans uh, chapter 10, which you're, all of us are familiar with, in Romans 10, uh, verses 9 and 10 tells us this. That if you confess with your mouth, notice here, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, uh, there's a little bit of, uh, we need to interpret this. Uh, we can uh, rephrase it this way. Whatever that you believe in your heart that causes you to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then naturally it becomes inevitable for you to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Confession and faith, they are inseparable, right? And that's why it seems like when we ask, uh, after we share the gospel to someone, well, what do we do? We kind of lead them into sinner's prayer. Don't we do that? Right? Because it's a part of the confession. So com faith does not stand by itself. But faith and confession. Do we confess what we believe before the people? And here is this young girl. She confessed her faith in God. If only my master would see the prophet in Israel. Faith confession that brought this man, Naaman. Once again, for the first time, he began to have hope, right? So Naaman uh, goes to his uh, master, verse 4, and king said, by all means, go. And I will send a letter to Israel, uh, the king of Israel. And so Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold. What does that mean? A lot. Okay, let's put it that way. Okay. And 10 sets of uh, clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. And as you know, uh, uh, king of Israel was really upset. He said, this guy is trying to pick a quarrel with me. And when Elijah heard that, man of God, he said, send him to me. Verse 8. Uh, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Okay? So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and stopped at the door of Elijah's house, expecting something, right? 
that Elijah will come out. And, but he doesn't do that. There's no sign of Elijah. Verse 10, sent the messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Uh, this is not a really good Eastern thing, you know. When a, more important the person is at the door, more important that you go out and greet the person. Elijah doesn't come. He sends his servant, Gehazi, and said, oh, and the Gehazi comes out and says, oh, sir, uh, uh, my master told me to tell you, uh, just go your, wash yourself in the Jordan uh, seven times. What would, how would you have reacted if that was you? Like Naaman, I would have been really ticked off, angry. What? What is this? Why was he angry? Look at this, verse 11. But many men went away angry and said, I thought that he would. I thought. This is what I expected. This is more, it is more reasonable for this man to come out and lay his hand on me or wave his hand and cure of the leprosy. Call upon his name of his God. But that did not happen. The man was so angry. And he says, Are not Abana, Farfar, the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? What's the point here? Can I wash in them and be cleansed? If it's about the river, if it is about washing, we have plenty of rivers in Damascus. Why come here? What is the problem here? I think this is where most of Unbelievers have problem. They are willing to go God's way if God goes their way. Let me repeat that. Unbelievers are willing to go God's way if God goes their way. Did you hear that? Naaman said, I'll do anything. As long as it fits into my own reasonable thinking and expectation, this is how God ought to, you know, uh, heal. And when, it, when, when the word of God was against his reason, his expectation, I'm not going to do it. I can't take this. And some of us make that mistake. We get confused thinking that we have faith in God. We, we will only follow God if God goes my way. So our prayer reflects that oftentimes. We decide, we plan, and we pray, and the only thing we're asking God to do is that God come and bless what I'm about to do. We never bother to think if this is the way of God. This is what pleases the Lord. We don't ask that question. Right here's Naaman. We thought he had faith. He had hope. He went. No. God was giving him the most important lesson. There's only one way. And there is no other. 
Isn't that the gospel all about? Right? There's only one way. People in the world, they get offended by the message of the gospel. As a matter of fact, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and 20, tell us that the message of the gospel, the cross, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. You see, many people were crucified 2,000 years ago. Many criminals were crucified. What's so special about this Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified? Right? Uh, I don't know if you know that if you talk to Mormons, these people will say this. If somebody shot Jesus with a gun, right? Would we hang that gun in the church? <laughs> right? And you hear, hmm, okay. So, you know, why the cross, they say. Why the cross? Why the Jordan River? Right? Why can't it be other rivers? You know, God could have healed this man of leprosy in Syria. As a matter of fact, God could have healed this man right in his backyard. But God said, no. You come, you go, and you do exactly the way that I have mandated for you. There's only one way, and there's no other. And Jesus said, I am the way. Not I am one of the ways but I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. That was his claim. Somebody said this. I'm not going to complain to God that there are not many ways to heaven. I'm not going to complain to God that there are not many ways to heaven. I'm going to thank God, least there is one. And that is the gospel. Naaman finally decided, originally, initially, he decided to go God's way if God goes his way. But then finally he bends his knees before the message from the prophet and he goes, and as he takes his armor, his clothes off, all of a sudden he realized he was no different from any other. And then he goes down, first, second time, the third, fourth, and obviously the seventh time he comes up, and he was cleansed. Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. This is truly the authentic, what we call, confession. Right? 
There is no other God other than our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he offered this gift out of gratitude and thankfulness. If you know, Elijah was not looking for this gift. He didn't heal him or God healed him. And uh, so he said, he said, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. The question is why? This, This was not bribe. It wasn't, he brought all this to Elijah and said, can you now heal me? It was not any bribe, right? It was a gift. What's wrong with that? What is wrong with simply taking the gift? I mean, God healed and thanked the Lord that he did that, and this man was completely healed out of gratitude. You could say thanksgiving, right? But he says no. And then, verse 19, go in peace, Elijah said. The story does not end there, right? We wish the story ends there, but it doesn't. Because what we find in this particular narrative, there are two people, right, we find. Uh, Naaman, a Gentile, a leper, he comes on the scene, right, unclean, finally bends his knee before the message of the Lord, and he, is, he leaves the scene cleansed, completely cleansed. But then the narrator focuses on the, the last half of the text, the story, to this man, Gehazi. Right? And in Stark contrast, these two people that we see here. On the other hand, this man Gehazi was a servant of the Lord or a servant of the prophet. As you can see that from Israel, as a matter of fact, this man witnessed when Elijah raised the young boy from the dead. He was right there. He witnessed all the miracles, right? However, it did not affect his faith. His faith. It didn't do any good. Experiencing all kinds of miracles, following Elijah everywhere he went. He could have been the next Elijah. Just as Elijah and then Elijah and then Elijah's servant, Gehazi, he could have been the next one on the world. But what happened? What happened to this man? After Naaman uh, had uh, traveled some distance in verse 19, Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, Elijah, the man of God, uh, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. What's wrong with that? Right? Verse 21. So Gehazi buried, uh, hurried after uh, Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, what is he doing? And asking, verse 22, everything is all right? Gehazi answered, my master sent me to say, 
two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. What's going on here? Can a Christian lie? <laughs> it's a very simple question, right? Can this man Gehazi lie? Why did he lie? Why did he lie that was so obvious? Did he know about this man, Elijah? I don't know if you recall, but this man is uh, an enemy. Uh, every time they make plans, Elijah would be sitting in his room and, said, and call the king and say, Sir, uh, the enemy uh, tomorrow, by this time, uh, they will be waiting, uh, ready, uh, ready to ambush and be waiting there. And so, sir, uh, I want you to avoid that road. And so this will keep going on. Every time they make plan, Elijah knew and told the king. And so the enemy got really frustrated. And the king said, there's got to be a spy among us, you know, telling them we were, our plan. How can they know? And then they said, oh, sir, you don't know? There's a man of God in Israel. His name is Elijah. He knows the very thing uh, that you do behind the closed door. He's a prophet of God. That's Elijah. To lie, someone who believes in God, someone who understands this prophet Elijah. Is it possible for someone to lie? But he did. This is the question that we have to ask. How is it possible? All right, let's not point finger at us, okay? Let's just, we're, we're okay. We don't lie, all right? But how can he lie, right? Well, what, what do you think? Right? His faith in God really did not have any effect. The area of what we call the truth. The truth. So he lies. Everything worked out well. And notice what he's doing. So verse 24. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. Then he went in and stood before his master Elijah. Okay. Here it is. So <laughs> Elijah Asked a simple question. Where have you been, Gehazi? Uh, your servant did not go anywhere. I don't know if you know our old uh, James Dobson. Uh, uh, he used to say this. When you ask your children where they have been, and if they say nowhere, then it is imperative that you ask, where they have been in particular, right? <laughs> right? Gehazi, where have you been? Uh, nowhere. What are you, God? You're uh, uh, omnipresent, you know? Gehazi, you're a liar, right? You're a liar. And then he said, was not my spirit with you when the man 
got down from his chariot to meet you. Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or manservant and maidservant? Wow. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Scary. One lie. Took some things from them. Why do we see such a harsh statement in this narrative? Elijah, aren't you, aren't you, isn't it too much for you to just, you know, cut off somebody like that, curse someone off like that? I don't know. How do you justify that? What do you think? A lot of times when we read the Bible, we tend to overlook. We only read what's on the surface level. What is the real issue here? What was the problem? Why did he end up lying? I believe it was a materialism and greed in our hearts that will inevitably affect our faith. For one thing, greed grossly underestimates God's omniscience that God knows. It is a simple truth. We all believe that God is omnipotent. We all believe that God is omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing is hidden from him. But you see, that truth does not affect the way we think, the way we make decisions, where we go about doing things. Gehazi did that. Why? Because of this greed that captured his heart. Achan's greed caused many casualties. In Joshua 7, Esau, the Bible says, was godless since he for a single meal sold his inheritance, spiritual rights, as the oldest son. Judah was there when Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. However, while the rest of the disciples were sad, the warning did not bring Judah's repentance Judas' greed caused this man to crucify his conscience. Greed is not something that we can underestimate or simply dismiss as Christians. Naaman comes on the scene as a leper. Naaman began his faith journey with expectation and reason. I will follow God's way if God goes my way. But then he finally bends his knee before this God. And he realized there's only one way. And that's the way of God. On the other hand, here is a temptation 
that we believers face. Now, that's enough for unbelievers, but for here is a temptation that we face because of greed in our hearts. Some of us professing to be Christians end up going our own way, but we only make it look like God's way. Did you hear that? Unbelievers, they're willing to go God's way if God goes their way. But believers, we end up going our own way, but we only make it look like God's way. And the world is not slow to picking us up on that. That's why many people, they look at the church and say, the Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Why? Because oftentimes we say these things. God's going to bless me and he's going to take me home. What is the relationship between faith and truth? When Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. Are you willing to live with your confession that Jesus is the only way and the truth? This is the question that we want to ask this morning. If we read, as we meditate on this particular text, what is the relationship between faith and confession? What is the relationship between faith and reason? My reason, right? What is our relationship between faith and will? Are you willing to go God's way? Even God does not go your way. May the Lord bless us this morning with this word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you as we struggle in our hearts to follow your way. Although we believe that you are omniscient, omnipotent, you're all loving, you're full of mercy, we pray that we will align our faith to your truth, who you are. May we truly be the disciple of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.